What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Really, uh, really excited about this episode. I'm um, going to introduce Event Nation to uh, Kyle Gunsup Stewart. So he's a United States Marine Corps veteran, three-time combat tours, uh, UFC veteran, great fighter. Uh, really looking forward to everyone hearing this. Stay tuned. This is uh, probably one of my probably one of my more favorite episodes I think I've ever done. All right, Kyle Stewart, man, you're on the vent. What's up, buddy? What's up? Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks for thanks for jumping in, man. I, so, um, I picked up on you, I think, through the Contender Series, dude. I think I saw you running around with the Marine Corps flag, and I'm like, ooh, who the fuck is this dude? Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to. You know, I've been following you ever since, man. But. Um, you know, just in case, like, introduce yourself, you know, where you're from, what are you, what are you into, and um, talk about, a little, you know, about your background. All right, yeah, no, so, yeah, I thought the contenders, you know, I, um, I started, I started my MMA career out when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, back then, I was fighting as an amateur, and I was just trying, uh, I did, I've done martial arts my whole life since I was a little kid. I was, I was like that karate nerd, Nice. you know, I was like that, that dorky kid that went to karate every day after school and told everybody he did karate and did karate at the talent show and shit like that. Like that was me. Right. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, I was like a virgin until I was like 18, but <laughs> no. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been, was in the martial arts my whole life. And then once I got into the Marine Corps, um, just being around fucking Marines, you know, we end up grappling, we end up ground fighting. I learned a few things, but just, I've always, um, gravitated towards martial arts. And then, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, um, I ended up just meeting, meeting, meeting some key people that kind of, uh, you know, when I wasn't running around doing grunt shit, I was an 0331, yeah. uh, uh, shout out to two, seven weapons company and three, four Lima company, machine guns, um, all 29 palms. But when I wasn't uh, running around doing grunt shit, you know, I would be in the gym and I'd be training and learning jujitsu. And then, uh, you know, I was just a voice and a passion for martial arts. So. I, I think the two biggest things that helped form me, I think as a person, was one, my passion in martial arts, and two, like uh, my time in the Marine Corps. Uh, without those, like literally without fighting and the Marine Corps, like I'd be a different person. I don't know who I would be. Yeah. You know, if I, I would be a totally different human being. And um, so, yeah, anyways, uh, what uh, another bit on that, that's something that I've always um, – I've always said, uh, I feel like the way that I look at my time in the Marine Corps is like, I got a lot from my time in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, um, I feel like it built me the character, the character, my character was built. My, my intestinal fortitude was built on that. My, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of tough love in the Marine Corps, especially in the grunts, you know, it's just like, there was a, there's a whole lot of resiliency that was instilled in me through the Marine Corps. And that's basically, you know, when I go up there and when I fight, when I carry that flag with me, that's where it, you know, this is the thing that I think a lot of people get twisted is they see me with the flag. And this is what pissed me off. I had a comment on my Facebook. I know we're going to get into the Kobe Bryant thing here in a little bit is I, I've never, I never carried my flag to use it as like, you know, and this is just the way the MMA business goes is people like that. People go, oh, you know, he, he's a Marine, like kind of like the thank me for my service thing. And it's never been that because I've never been like, I've never wanted anybody. It's so annoying. Like I, I don't, don't thank me for my service. And I'm, I don't understand what people mean, mean something from, but it's never been about 
um, I guess in a way guilt tripping people into like feeling gratitude for me. You know what I'm saying? Like 100%. After, for me, it's like when I carry that flag, it reminds me of the standard that I have to uphold. It's keeping me accountable. You know, it's, it's um, because I feel like a lot of guys get out of the Marine Corps or the military in general. And then when they get out, it's like, they're almost like that dude. You know, we, we, we talked about the fucking losers. We went off and joined the Marine Corps and the, the dude that was the, the stud football player, right. he's right. dropped out of community college and he's the kid that peaked in high school. You know what I'm saying? Right. I feel like right. a lot of veterans, when they get out of the military, they do that same thing. Oh, 100%. They, they go off, they join the military, they go and they deploy, and then they spend the rest of their lives living in the past about back when they were rock stars as Lance Corporals. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, it's like, and it's not um, – and so what I'm doing, it's not that I'm – there's nothing wrong with being proud of your military service. This is why I don't want people to get confused. There's nothing wrong with uh, being proud of serving your country and what you did, and you should absolutely be proud of it. But to, I guess, to treat people like they owe you something for it mm-hmm. is douchey. It's really douchey. And I, I think uh, I've talked to a lot of my, my buddies and I feel like the veteran culture can be really toxic at times. Oh. Like, and a lot of times we shoot ourselves in the foot. We put our own foot in our mouth and we look like assholes because of stuff like that. Um, so that was something that I've always wanted to clarify. Like my, me carrying my flag it's to remind motherfuckers, like, I'm still carrying this flag. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still accountable to you guys. You know, like, and I say this, like, I'm a Marine in everything I do. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like that thing when, uh, you know, some asshole goes out on Libo and gets a DUI. Marine gets a DUI. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not just fucking dick face gets a DUI, you know, like we, I go out, I have USMC tattooed, big, ugly, big, ugly letters right across my back. Like, you know, I know when I step in there to fight, like I represent something so much bigger than myself. And that, that kind of helps, that kind of helps calm me and check me, um, when I fight, uh, because it's like, you know, like just like in combat, it's not always going to go the right way, but no matter what, like I'm showing up to fight you know and there's no because because i represent that flag you know like it kind of makes me yeah i think i think in in a way it definitely has helped me out but in a way it's also hurt me because you know and i've gotten away from it a little bit lately i'm not trying to rant and ramble too too much but i know in my recent fights like when i got to the ufc and i lost um i cried man like when i lost my ufc debut like i i have not and I don't mean like I like cried. I mean like, dude, I was like weeping. Like I couldn't believe it. I was just, and it wasn't for me. I wasn't, sorry about that. I was, I wasn't hurt. I just felt like a fraud. Like I had let so many people down because I represent that flag because of the, the, the culture that I come from. Like so many people, like, like you said, I saw you carrying that flag on the contender series. And I was like, yo, I'm a, I'm a tune in and you know, I like this guy. And it, that's kind of how it goes is like, yeah, it comes with a lot. I, I carry that flag and it just reminds me like, you know, like I'm, this is, this is who I'm fighting for. These are my people. You know, I, I, I want to show these people, be the example that like, 
greatness doesn't end when you get your DD-214. Like, you still got to be a fucking warrior. Whether you want to fight in an octagon, whether you want to be uh, – you, whether you're going to school, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you're a father, a husband, a firefighter, a cop, whatever it is you want to do with your life, like, you still are accountable to that flag, you know? And I think, I, I think that guys – that's how veterans should see themselves. They should see themselves as, you know, like understand that, that, that flag that, that still carries weight as compared to being like, well, I served, so you don't know shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. I try to- my opinion means so much more than you because I served in the military. And that's where I'm like, ah, now you're coming off like a douche. That was the big thing with the whole Kobe Bryant thing when, and I got a lot of people, I think a lot of veterans, you know, it's always funny how this works. Whenever you get like positive comments or positive feedback from social media, you could get like 99 comments that are like, dude, spot on, agree with you 100%. But it's those one or two assholes that just like the counterculture thing that just want to be like, well, fuck you, you're wrong. You're pandering for attention. Fuck you. You carry the flag. You're asking for everybody to fucking uh, support you because you're a Marine, but you don't support. And that's just like, like those dudes, like still to this day, I'm like, I want to slap the fuck out of those dudes. You know, like I wish I could. So but, uh, I would say, I would say like, yo, I wish everyone knew this Marine's name or this soldier's name. Like I wish that they were household names. They're just not dude. We don't live in that culture, right? Like, absolutely not. Like, no, no, and, and uh, like uh, you're talking about like troops that are overseas that are, you know, yeah, uh, like somebody gets killed in action, something like that. Right. Any loss of life, bef- any loss of life before their time is tragic. I don't care if it's a yeah. fucking billionaire athlete or if it's an 18 year old kid who got sent to Afghanistan. Um, all that is is unfortunate, right? And and people who, like people who serve like. Um, their their close ones and the people that love them are going to honor them in their way, but yes. just that the whole country or the whole world knows who these people are. They just don't, man. And it's weird. That's and that's that was the point. That, react. Yeah, I agree. That was that was the point that I had made. Is it was like, and the crazy thing is after after I found out Kobe Bryant died, I of course started. I googled it. I was looking through social media and I was like, oh shit, Kobe Bryant actually died in a helicopter crash. And I was like, damn. I think it. It's sad that the first thing that clicked in my head is there's going to be veterans. They're going to go on there and they have to remind everybody that there's still troops overseas and that troops are committing suicide and the 22 a day and the, the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you can't, it's like you're trying to steal that thunder to make it about in a way about you. Yeah. about your service about so, that's what it feels like and it's like 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 you just said look we've been at, at war call a war at conflict the war on terror for 20 years mm-hmm. we have been in the war on terror for 20 years and it ain't stopping anytime soon oh man like this is this could very well be going on in 20 more years oh. i don't i don't think as <laughs> I don't think this is ever going to end. This is a war of attrition. That's why it's, we've changed the way we fight it. Mm-hmm. Now it's more special forces fighting it, which it should have been, I believe, in my opinion, kind of the whole, the whole, the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this war is never going to end. So are, are the American people just not supposed to go on with their lives? 
Are, are were they not supposed to, when you have Kobe Bryant who passes away, who affected so many people, people, and the thing that just irritates me is it's like, people want to be like, you, you know, why, why do people care more about Kobe Bryant? All he does is fucking throw a basketball through a hoop. And I'm like, I want to, what, what you do it, what you do with your military service is honorable. Yeah. But any 18 year old kid that signs on the dotted line can do it. And they, and they, you know? and they want it, to do it. It's, it, it takes balls, but it's not, uh, it takes balls, but it's not, you, you have no, Kobe Bryant can do what you can do. You can't do what Kobe Bryant can do. Right. And he affected millions of people. Millions of people were affected by that. Yeah, so for you to just try and take it and take that situation and twist it and turn it and make it all about you or, or the troops to me, I was like, yo, as veterans, this is getting to be toxic. The fact that I knew veterans were going to say that veterans were going to do that and make it about the 22 a day or the troops uh, that are still overseas. The fact that I knew about that, yep. the first thing I thought about when I, when I knew he died is veterans are going to make it about them. Yep. Like, I think that's sad. So you know I, what saw, I'm saying? I saw a lot of, I saw this, um, I actually, I actually reposted it and explained it in the caption because people, because people but like right away there was like a, you know, there was like a, a helicopter crash in like 2005. And yeah. People reposted that. Dude, it was getting reposted, like recycled. And I, and I, I actually, I pushed it out on my social media. Like, Hey, um, this shit happens, man. And like in 2005, like this helicopter crashed and these people died, but everyone's pushing it. Like it happened yesterday. Like it, like it just happened. Yeah. And I'm like, you're just wrong, man. You're reading, you're reading into this. Like, um, uh, it was just weird. Uh, they were I, super strange. You know, I, I had gone on and I had seen people post that and I was like, it's almost like people were, people wanted to smear, like they wanted to, it's to me, it feels like jealousy. Mm-hmm. It feels like jealousy. And it's like, it's not a competition, man. Mm-mm. It's not, nobody's saying you don't matter. Nobody's saying F you. You know what I'm saying? You're making it about you when it's not about you. You know, it's it, uh, Kobe Bryant affected millions and millions and millions of people. He's a role model for millions of people. Yeah, I don't You know, even, yeah. millions and millions of people looked up to him. Like, right. that wasn't, you know, including a shitload of veterans. Including other veterans, yes, like, a you, lot of veterans. Like, like it's like um, one of the. And I think that was a good thing. Is a lot of other veterans are kind of like, yo, you're making, you're going, you're going way out in the left field. You're right, totally wrong. What do people think we do? You know, when we're like downrange and shit, like in our off time, like we try to catch a ball game, we try to yeah play some fucking whatever uh, on the Armed Forces like, Network. We right. we try and watch like, football games. Right. I remember being deployed, being like. Uh, out on patrol, and then when I would come back, come back to the rear, I would, I would be like, hey, you know, I, I would come back and fucking. It was always cool if we could get back into the rear on a Sunday so we could watch football. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that made us happy. <laughs> that's like the fucking American thing to do is to celebrate your athletes and like, and like that's what we all um, used to dream of. And and to be honest, like I, I kind of thought a lot of people. That's what we were fighting for, right? Is to protect that 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 sort of notion that people can be whatever yeah. they want to be. And yeah, the reaction to that was super strange, man. And I remember, um, I don't know if you guys know each other, you know, my, you know, Hank. Hank off. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. won the award and I actually saw him push your shit out and I'm like, Ooh, fuck. Like, look at this. This is like a, I saw it on Twitter and I'm like, Hey, let me, you know, I'm with this. Like that makes a lot of sense. Cause, um, I still work around like guard guy. Like I, so I'm a state employee, but I work around like the, the national guard guys and stuff. And like, there's kind of a lot of that stuff that goes on, dude. And you're right. It's a little, 
it's a little like bro vetish kind of thing going on. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's funny because veterans are the first people to call out liberals and call them snowflakes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There are snowflakes. But, uh, there's a lot of vet flakes out there, man. Oh, there's a lot of people that are just like, they, 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 they're so connected to their service is the number one thing that makes them feel good about themselves, but that's all that they have. Yeah. And that's like, I, I'm not going to lie, dude, because I run like a, you know, because I have this um, work in this podcast or like I have a Facebook page that's definitely supports veterans or pro vets. I get sucked into this shit a lot. So I have to, I talk about it more than I care to. Um, but I'm not, I, I definitely don't try to say like, Hey, I'm a veteran. My opinion matters more than yours or I'm this or I'm that. Or like, I try to give people, you know, an idea of what maybe a veteran would perceive certain things as, but like, that doesn't make my opinion more valuable than anyone else's like absolutely no i i agree maybe the thing is only veterans can really check other veterans yeah yeah for sure like there's no civilian that didn't serve that could go on and tell a veteran that he's off color or he's off base you know what i'm saying yeah you know good initiative bad there's no there's no you just can't do that because then it's like oh you don't know what you're talking about you didn't serve but it's like i think that that's why it's up to us to kind of police our own on stuff like that is it's like Look, you're really making us look like you're really just kind of making us look bad, you know. Yeah, and I see, I see, actually, like I see that kind of dumpster fire shit on Twitter, dude. Like people are always talking, like, "Yo, I just ran into this fucking Navy SEAL at the end of the bar who's done like this, this, and this," and you're like, "Ah, probably not." You know, like, what are you like, uh, dude? People come up. It's like you're. Why do you feel the need to overinflate what you did? You know, like. Because yeah. you've still done if, – if you served, like, you've still done so much more than a lot of other people. Like, what's wrong with being yeah. – um, yeah. Yeah. I feel – I feel, and the, the weird thing is I'm, like, the first one to uh, – it's – I knew when I posted that it was going to piss some people off, but I feel like it still needed to be said. Yeah. Like, uh, this whole – you know, there's – there's – uh there. Like I said, there's nothing wrong. And that's the difference with uh, when I get on there and I think I posted something about like basically what we've been talking about. And then some of the people in my comments, it was just like like a hand, small handful of people. For the most part, it got a whole bunch of shares, a whole bunch of likes, a whole bunch of people thanking me for sharing it because it needed to be said. Yeah. But it was like that literally less than less than 1% of the people that were like, no, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you go and you look at their page and they're just like, not to me sound arrogant, but they're just like, they're doing nothing with their life. They post memes. Right. They just like, you're a guy that peaked in the military mm-hmm. and like, now you're getting attention because you want to do the counterculture thing on my, on my social media post. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, yeah. It's, it's a really strange thing, man. It's, it's, it's going to be a, you know, as, as veterans, it's going to be a kind of a thing. Like you said, we got to, we got to police it, man, because it is, it is really weird just how people, how people react to stuff, man. I don't, I mean, I don't know. And I don't, I don't really get it. I understand like people are hurting, dude. They lost friends and stuff. Like I, I get that. Totally understand. Like people are hurting, but to suggest that the whole world is supposed to um, like pine over this is like, come on, man. That's not. Well, here, here's the difference. Here's the thing. The war has been going on for 20 years. If something catastrophic had happened that same exact day, somebody's like, well, what about the, what about the rocket that landed? Somebody said something, there was some sort of rocket. Over, I was like, yeah, it's Iraq. Yeah. That's, that happens every day. Yeah, it's what about the rocket that almost hit a base? Why isn't that being shared? I was like, 
Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a combat zone, but we got rocketed damn near every day yeah. on my deployments or heard it or, you know, like if it wasn't us, it was the, it was the operate, it was the Ford operating base next to us right. or is the observation post down like a hundred meters away. That's not you know what I'm saying? Like that, that shit happens every day in third world. You know what I'm saying? That that's not headline news because it's so frequent. It's not every day that a celebrity of that level, somebody that the whole world knows, you know, yeah. something like that happens, you know, especially in like an, in, like, so that aircraft that he was on was like insanely safe. Like it has a great record. The pilot was like a great pilot. Like it, it, it by all accounts, man, like it's a fluke fucking thing that just shouldn't have happened. And, and frankly, that's super sad. And like his, you know, that guy, he had like, he lost his daughter. There were like two other parents and a kid, like there were yeah. that aircraft. Like that was, it was like I said, man, it was super strange. Like, um, you know, you're talking about guys that have willfully gone into these situations and like, and you should actually expect probably, um, to maybe get hurt or to potentially get killed. And then, yeah, I, I don't know, bro. Like I was with, and like I said, it's not, it's not, um, like, and I said this in my post, I was like, joining the military is something like, it takes a lot. It, it takes a lot of, especially if you're in the grunts, man. Yeah. It takes a lot of cojones to do something like that. Right. And that's why I say like my time in the military, I got a lot more from it mm-hmm. than I was ever, ever able to give back. I think, I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. Like I gained more as a man through my time in the, in the Marine Corps than I was ever able to give back to the Marine Corps. For sure. You know, um, and I feel like a lot of people need to kind of stop and think about that like that, you know, and, instead of, instead of being the fucking, uh, the kid that peaked in high school, yeah. you know, be the guy that's like, you know what? Like I, I made it through this. I volunteered for this, be proud of it. But like, don't walk around. You don't need to walk around and remind everybody that you, you know, you're a hero. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or that like you, you, you deserve, you deserve more praise than Kobe Bryant who just, just, off of the fact that people know who he is, half the fucking world knows who he is, it's got to get a lot of attention. Half yeah. of the world doesn't know Lance Corporal Johnson right. from fucking, yeah. from BFE Wyoming. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they just, they just, there's like 30 people in his hometown that know he exists. Yeah. That doesn't make his death or his sacrifice less than. Right. That just means like more people know that. So they're not going to talk about Lance Corporal Johnson. Right. There's been Lance Corporal Johnson's going overseas for 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is, it's kind of, I don't want, uh, it's tragic, man. It's not, it's not laughable, but it was super strange. But so you're an athlete. Yeah, I think, and I think that the fact that, like I said, when that happened, the first thing I thought is veterans are going to get on there and make this about us. That, that's what's going to happen. And then I didn't get on. I got on social media a few hours later and I started seeing it. And I was like, look, I got to say something. Yeah, and I'm glad yeah. I'm glad you did, man, because it helped other guys like it helped frame it for guys like me, like other guys who like kind of who definitely feel the same way and like needed and, and, and bro, I've been guilty of that. I'm not innocent of this. I've done the same thing. Yeah. And this is the difference. I remember being deployed when celebrities would pass away. I think uh who was the uh who was the it was like in two thousand eight, I wanna say. Uh super, super famous Bernie Mac. Yeah. Bernie Mac passed away in like 2008, right? No, something like that. He, the fucker just dropped dead. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when Bernie Mac passed away and uh, we were 
we were we we're going about doing what we're doing and i was like i was the first one to be like who the fuck gives a shit about bernie mac look at where we're at yeah you know what i'm saying why doesn't anybody be talking about us like and in my head like you know as you get older you, your mentality changes man you should uh, now I look back and I go, oh, I see it from a different perspective now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, when you're, you're downrange and you're overseas, and this is the other thing. If you're downrange and you're overseas and you're close to Lance Corporal Johnson and something happens to Lance Corporal Johnson, and then all you're hearing about on social media is something like Kobe Bryant, but it's there. It's fresh with you. What you're witnessing, what you're going through is fresh. You're just like, you know, I don't give a shit. America's priorities are fucked up. I remember – I remember – being that guy, thinking that for sure. In that moment, it definitely hurts, and you're because it's so much more real to you because you're closer to the situation, right? But you need to understand the rest of the world isn't closer to your situation. And well, and the guys that you were sort of, I mean, uh, targeting with your post, like they weren't any closer to the situation, likely at the time either. That's not like you were targeting dudes who were like in fucking, you know, in yeah in Afghanistan at the moment you're talking about about veterans who've been out of the military for fucking five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. It's like, can't fucking move on. Like, bro, like get, get over it, dude. Like, yeah, you need, you need to move on. Like, yeah. So you're, you're uh, a though, right? Like you, you served in Afghanistan. Yeah. I did three tours to Afghanistan and I got to go one thirty first Mew. I got, yeah. You did three tours in Afghan. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. I went with two, seven and 2008. And then I went uh, on the 31st Mew after that. Spent a little time. Got out. drunk in Thailand and Singapore and the Philippines. Yeah, it was a good time. And then uh, I went back to Afghanistan in 2011 with uh, 3-4. And then I went back uh, again in 2013 to Afghanistan. Damn, dude. So that's like all um, – dude, that's, Afghanistan was fucking hopping again at that time too. Like that shit – that was – Dude, like, when we went there in 2008, we were the first uh, infantry battalion in the Helmand province. Second Battalion, Seventh Marines. Yeah, dude, I remember that. We were the first guy, and we used to laugh about it because we were like, dude, are we like the guinea pigs that they're just throwing out here to like, Mm -hmm. you know, we used to be like, it was just conversation amongst Lance Corporals, but we're like, are they just putting us out here to get fucked up so they can show the rest of the world like we need people to come over here? Because I remember going in and all of my seniors went to Iraq. You know, they, in 2007, they went to Iraq. It, it just, Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. Yep. So when they started talking about Afghanistan, you know, at first it was Afghanistan, 2001, 2002, 2003, everybody went over to Iraq. So for five years, yep. no, there was hardly anybody in Afghanistan. Right. right. You know, uh, so we kind of went, went to Afghanistan and then some of the gunfights and shit that was, that, that we were getting into and the combat that we were seeing, there was like a lot of hardened Iraq vets there were our seniors that were like, dude, I've never been in the, I've never, this, this shit. I'm talking like, cause we were so, we didn't have the assets that we had when I went back in 2011. Right. We sure. had one infantry battalion, second battalion, seventh Marines. Our AO was the size of Rhode Island. Damn. And so we had, we had literally, we had like squad positions and guys, the company split up into like, so these two squads are 60 kilometers away and they're running full on patrols, half with them, half with the AN, the Afghan national police. I mean, it was like really some wild West shit. Guys would get, would be getting pinned down in gunfights and the Taliban would shoot and move and maneuver. It yeah. wasn't just when I went back in 2011, it was kind of like spray and pray ambush guerrilla warfare. When I was there in 2008, 
it was shoot, move, and communicate. And the only adjacent fucking assets that we had, we didn't have, hardly ever have air on station. Yeah. It was our own 81 millimeter mortars. And then later in deployment, we had 120 millimeter mortars. Damn. So the, the, the combat was pretty intense there in 2008. That's the thing that, you know, a lot of guys in, in 27 are like, you know, it's kind of wearing like a badge of honor because we were the first <laughs> ones to go into Helmand province. Later on, like the whole, our whole AO was taken over by the Marine Corps. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. All of Helmand province. Uh, there would be there'd be multiple battalions right in uh in areas that we had two squads that's insane that's you know what i'm saying yeah, like dude, some skinny shit man that's like because i mean sangin province dude it's been it's no joke bro like we had we had echo company in sangin and echo company was split between sangin and goresh in 2010 when three, they had, they had a whole fucking, I think they had a whole Mew go through there. It was three, seven. It was, it was three, five, then three, seven. Yeah. I'm remembering the numbers. Yeah. And a couple of those, a couple of those. And it was just like, they, the Marine Corps dumped everything in the singing. Well, and two, was, seven was there with half a company. I think three, five was the one that got hit hard, man. If I remember correctly, they yeah, got three, five, three, yeah. five. I think three, five had more casual, more KIAs than any any other marine corps unit in afghanistan yeah, like in this it was bad i remember it was yeah. bad. and that's not that's not so that's i mean something you glorify that's just like to kind of put realize like yo the, those boys went through some rough shit man yeah no sangin province dude I, we had you know we had a lot of uh, mps that have that who were you with so i was a military policeman when i was um when I was in Iraq, I, Afghanistan, we were spinning assets from Iraq to get to Afghanistan. Like the, everything was changing. So yeah, rolling through Iraq in 2009. And um, so in, really in between your stuff, but we were shifting everything. Like that's, I was running security to break it all down and get, get it back to Afghanistan. Yeah. When I was leaving, uh, Af- when I was leaving Afghanistan in 2008, that's when they were building Camp Leatherneck. Camp Leatherneck didn't even exist yet. Right, right, right. But it was at Camp Bastion. So the main big no shit, like uh, the big base in Helmand province was Camp Bastion. Right. And it was weird because I remember being there and I was like, what are they building all these berms and all this shit over here that we can't go to that side of the base? That later turned into Leatherneck. Yeah, Leatherneck was, uh, from what I heard, Leatherneck was fucking massive too. Like Leatherneck was a city. Yeah. When I went back in 2011, I was like, oh, this is a city. When I went back in 2013, there was just Connex boxes on top of Connex boxes that people were living in. That's insane. And I was like, Jesus, man. Because yeah. I remember, dude, I remember going in 2008. We didn't have shit. We slept in our trucks. I was in a cat platoon. We just, uh, we would go back to Bastion or refuel and refit. Yeah. But we would go for two, three weeks at a time from fob to fob yeah. and just be living out of our trucks. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, I have so much fucking respect for the infantry, man. You guys do some shit that, you know, um, and I, I was, I would run into grunts a lot because I ran a security team, right? So I would do like, um, nine lines, 15 lines, or I would take, uh, beans, bullets, band-aids, you know, we'd provide security for convoys. So we were coming across grunts all the time, man. And some of the shit you guys are asked to do is just, is just fucking ridiculous. And like, and I know like at the time people are probably annoyed with it or, or a little upset. Dude, I'm telling you, we hate but it, like, but we love it. Yeah, we but hate it, it, but we love it. I mean, but in the infantry, like when they say if Lance Corporal's not bitching, something's wrong. Yeah. That's kind of true. Cause if they're bitching, like they, it actually is like almost like, yeah, we're good. Like, you know, yeah. Least, yeah, it's crazy. When man. everybody gets silent, you know that there's something really bad. <laughs> a mutiny's afoot. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, like, so give me a day in the life. You're a machine gunner, right? So what were you out of your two forties, your baby or what? So my first deployment, I was in a weapons company. Um, so I was in a cat in a cat platoon. I mostly drove through most of the deployment because we were running three man trucks. Yeah. We were so under, it's like we were running, it was a gunner driver and the VC. So I just switched back and forth between driving and being in the gun. Yeah. But we had a Mark 19 on our truck. Um, but my, when I went back in 2011 and I didn't really like, I liked having big guns, but when I went back in 2011, man, there's a different, there's a difference between being in a gunfight in a truck when you're told, Hey, you have to go over here. And you're like, there's a lot less control, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if I'm in the gun and the, and the driver fucking drives over an ID, we all die. Yeah. You know, whereas like, it's just a different, if I'm on foot and I step on an ID, it's only, well, not necessarily, but like, there's a lot, Yeah, it's, there's it's, a lot less safety, but there's a lot more mobility. You know what I'm saying? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah because, yeah, because I ran a truck team. I get it hundred percent. And a lot of my guys, like um, most of my, I was the only four man truck team and that's because I had a corpsman. So the rest of my guys, they were all running three truck, uh, three man teams too. Yeah. yeah, you're right, dude. I mean, it's and it, and trucks are also fucking bullet magnets, dude. Like, yeah, I didn't like that. They're armored, shit. They're yeah. armored, but tell everybody what is it like, like training to become a machine gunner? Like, so you're humping your body weight plus your shit plus your gun. What's do you even know the number? Like what that? Dude, was? when I when I when I patrolled in 2011, and machine gunners are fucking meatheads, bro. Like we're just dummies. So my knees are fucked up now. Right. Like it's like. Well, how many rounds are you carrying on patrol? Uh, I got 800. Oh, cool, dude. I got 1,000. Like, it's like a di- everything's a fucking dick measuring contest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everything's fucking, yeah. And I was like, so how many, uh, how many is your ammo man carry? Oh, he carries like 500. I carry five. Bro, you only carry 500 fucking rounds? Keep 100 rounds of 7.62 weighs 7 pounds. Yeah, that's a lot. I, mean, I, think, I think it weighs seven pounds. I don't know. It's been a while since I was in. When you're if talking, I remember correctly, 100 rounds weighs seven pounds. You're so if you're carrying 1,000 rounds, yeah. just in ammunition alone, you're carrying fucking 70 pounds. Yeah. What's that's the, just an ammunition. That's not including the gun, the which gun weighs 27.1 pounds, if I'm correct. Right. Plus your body weight, plus your fucking gear, plus, plus whatever yeah. pack you got on. Yeah, dude. I and yeah, and the thing was, when I was there in 2011, we went from we set up patrol base to patrol base. So we were carrying. I'd carry three, four cases. Of, we were. I was a fucking tortoise. You guys are. Not- I, remember, I remember my buddy. We were going across the creek, and he was kind of a fat guy, so it was funny. He uh, he fell down in the creek, oh, fuck. and he literally couldn't get up. I had to turn around and go <laughs> back and pick him back up. We would we would walk from position to position, and I'm talking like a few hundred meters. This is when we were setting up patrol bases, yeah. but we we'd get in gunfights with 200 pounds on your back, That's easily That's close insane. to 200 pounds. And it's just like all you're gonna do is you're gonna lay down, you're gonna set the suppressive fire, and you're gonna move into whatever OP you're going to take over. Right. Um, but when we were in no shit on patrol, patrol, still for me it would be a thousand rounds. It'd be a 240 um it'd be a full full thing of water and two canteens flat jacket kevlar uh, all the serialized gear that i have i would say that i probably patrolled with close to 150 pounds plus my body weight jeez man what was your fighting weight in in like 2011 what do you think you weighed when you were patrolling your body <laughs> me physically yeah 
not about what I weigh now, honestly. Yeah. I mean, your body fluctuates because you go through times where you just you get skinny because you're just tired of eating MREs. Yeah. And you're just always tired. Yeah. And then there's and then there's times when near the end of the deployment, you know, patrol pace started slowing down because in 2011, my deployments, it was really crazy. I, I was there for every phase of the resurgence in the Afghanistan. Yeah. I was there in 2008 with 2-7. We were the tip of the spear going back into Afghanistan. It was kinetic as hell. Yeah. When I was there, you could, you could shoot first and ask questions later. For sure. In 2008. Mm-hmm. And we did. You know, like, because right. there was no shit towns that if you were a dude and you were 15 years old, you were a bad guy. Yeah, for sure. There's no way you were a good guy. There's no women or children in this town. These are strictly drug lords. You know, these are strictly Taliban. So you could shoot these guys, and it wasn't you, – you could shoot these guys knowing they were bad dudes. When I went back in 2011, we were in a different area. There were women and children around. There were, they were kind of good guys, but they were all – everybody was a little shady. Yeah. So the, the rules of engagement were a little tighter. They, it was like halfway. It was like, all right, you, we can't just shoot anybody here. Yeah. Like we need, to have, we need to have PID. We need to make sure these guys are – if they're not directly attacking us, then we can't shoot them. But the shitty thing is I'd be like, I know that motherfucker's Taliban because yeah. – it doesn't matter what language you speak. I know what a hood rat looks like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause I know what a shady mother, I don't have to speak yeah. your language to know that you're a shitty motherfucker. We operated the same way. Um, yeah. I, when you give me a, you, you give me a look that says, fuck off. You can't yep. tell me what to do. I want to fuck you up. Yep. hundred percent. You know? And that's where I was like, if I was there back in 2008, we would have just killed you right here. For sure. And just left your body here. Nobody w- wouldn't even wrote a report about it. Would have left you here. You're dead. I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> But that's that's how that's how it went in 2008. When yeah. I went back in 2011, uh, we had Jags coming out to do investigations on. They were all good kills, yeah. you know, uh, uh, on guys. We would get in ticks, and uh, you know, and they'd be like, they would they would come to the area that we were in and be like, oh, this is a shithole. Like we would, we would, we would get hit with grenades every day, yeah. like every day. I mean, literally every day they would lob grenades into our compound. And so it's like, look, th- this is the hottest area of the hot area right now. So, yeah. and they, they the, the Jag would come out. He spent he spent like two days with us, and he's like, yeah, you guys are in a no shit combat zone. I don't, no, nobody's here trying to murder anybody. And then when I went back in 2013, you couldn't do a damn thing. You could probably, oh my god, we, we were getting punked out with by kids with slingshots. We'd be, we'd be sitting there on post and kids would just shoot rocks at us with their slingshots and we just kind of had to take it. You that's, know, we had to like... Right. And I, I've heard the, the Afghan kids, I heard, are way, way ballsier than the Iraqi kids were. Like, I've heard of Afghan kids, like, climbing on the back of fucking trucks and shit, like... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Iraqi kids were fucking scared to death, man. They didn't do that kind of shit. We'd well, pack, but also... We'd, got- throw fucking, uh, we'd crack light sticks and beam them with them, dude, to back them off and shit. Well, you got to think the difference too is when I was the areas that we went in 2008, like just off of what's going on, like you knew not to fuck. We were not to be fucked with. When we went there in 2008, it was like if you, if you ran into the Marines, like something bad was happening. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they know the rules like, just as good as you do. Some, something bad was happening because we never, we had hardly any good, there was no hearts and minds when I was there in 2008. It was just fighting. Yeah, 100%. When I was there in 2011, it was like, oh, let's win the hearts and minds. Let's be nice to everybody. Let's build them wells, which hasn't worked since fucking Vietnam. But that's a, that's a totally different subject. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 
And then uh, we went in there in 2011 thinking, let's win the hearts and minds. But by the end of deployment, we were just like, fuck these people. So when I ripped, when I ripped in Iraq, dude, I ripped with a recall. He was a, he was a 0331 too. Uh, he was a sergeant, dude. And he was telling me stories about his time in the Joff early in Iraq. And he's like, dude, I'd be walking around with my 240, like, like going from patrol base or whatever, like you were saying. And he's like, dude, just wishing like I could get nicked or hit just to get the fuck out. Like just to leave. Cause it's so heavy. It's so much pressure and you're just walking around like in the desert, like dying, like it's crushing. Yeah. And he was a fucking big boy. Like you would think he'd be able to hump some weight, but he's like, bro, after like a couple weeks, dude, you're just done. You're just like, just like, let me get clipped and I'll just, you know, let me catch one in the leg or some shit so I can just, you know, take a break. When I went 2011, our machine gunners, it was, it was like, they were taking out machine gunners left and right. Honestly, wow. uh, machine gunners were getting shot left and right. Um, and I don't need even necessarily, it wasn't even necessarily on patrol, but it was on post. It was just like, damn, it's like, it was like the machine gunners curse. We would have 11s that came to our machine gun section and we trained them up on machine guns so they could go out with a 240 and then the 11s would get hit. So it was kind of like the, the 0331. If you, if you had the 240, like your, your days were, you knew chances were you were probably going to get fucking hurt. Well, I mean, it's an effective machine gun, dude. And you guys are, you guys are top notch, man. There's nobody better. There's just fucking no one better. You know, I've been trained by 0331s, man. I know it like some of the shit they were teaching me, um, with, with, uh, the 240 and the, and the 249 was incredible. I'm like, I don't even think like you, I'm not even on your level. Like, dude, it's funny that, uh, machine gunners are like the marinest Marines you can find. I a hundred percent believe that they're all rock fighters. They're all fucking, they're like, if, if it was football, we'd be the fucking offensive and defensive line. Right. You get what I'm saying? 100%. We're just like, we're, we're, we, we aren't the smartest guys. Not saying that we're dumb, but like we take so much pride in being tough. It's like, oh, like I said, oh, dude, you're only carrying 800 rounds? Oh, cool. No, no problem. I got 1,000. Yeah, because I'm not a little bitch. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yo, chill, man. You're big, tough, fucking trigger pullers, dude. And like, and the funny thing is, the smaller machine gunners, it was like, those were the ones you really didn't want to fuck with because they were hanging out with the big dudes. Yeah, I've never... You know what I'm saying? They, 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 they were down. They were, they were about it. So I, I remember just I've fucking... I've never a small machine gunner, but I would be afraid of one, 100%. <laughs> yeah. You guys are no, yeah. man. The shit you guys, the shit you guys are asked to do is insane. What do you think about um, this peace treaty shit, real quick? Like, what do you do? You think it lasts? Do you think it works? Have you seen it? Have you been following that at all? No, explain, they elaborate. Did, they did like a seven day. Um, they did like a seven day like restricted violence period or some shit, right? So the U.S. And the Taliban in, in in Afghanistan, they're they're actually negotiating. It's like a seven day kind of. Uh, uh, lesser violence week, and then they're they're claiming maybe we'll get some peace treaty. What do you think? Is it even possible? They're so damn tribal, dude. Like, yeah, no, no, it's not, dude. Okay. It's not, bro. That's that's the thing that I think people and unless you've ever been to a third world country, you just don't understand. That's the one thing that I will say that still, even just being back and being out of the military for so long, I have to remind myself that like these people aren't wired the same as us. Mm -hmm. Like the Afghan police are not good. They're not good guys. No, yeah, the Afghan, the Afghan military, they're not good guys. The, there's, there's some good guys in there. Mm -hmm. They're where your loyalty lies in Afghanistan. 
is dependent upon who's going to put food on your table. Yeah. So I've heard like a lot of them didn't even know there was like a central government. Like they literally don't know that. Like they don't know like I don't, Kandahar. I don't know about, I don't know about that. Is that put a it this way. I'll tell you this number. I, uh, and dude, this was in 2008. So I, I like, this was so long ago, fucking 12 years ago. So I could just tell you this number. We trained something like 5,500 uh, Afghan national police. Mm-hmm. And then we trained them. We gave them, we gave them weapons. We gave them AK 47s, PKMs, RPKs, RPGs. We, we armed these motherfuckers to the teeth. We trained them, trained them how to use them. And half of these motherfuckers are strung out on heroin, by the way, because yeah. the, there's a legitimate – Afghanistan produces – gives the world like 95% of its opium. It's a high-ass number. That's fucking for sure. Yeah, funny how – I don't know. I'm not going to – I'm not going to go down the conspiracy rabbit hole. But uh, Afghanistan produced the world 95% of its opium. But so a lot of these Afghan police, they're, they're, we had guys like going through withdrawals and shit. Wow. That were there going through the, the police training. And of these people, they were there was like 500 of them that were supposed to show up to their outpost after they had graduated training. You know, congratulations, you get a fucking little – we tried to treat them like like our American military. Yeah. Just, these, aren't, these aren't us. Like yeah. they're, we're different things. Like um, – but we armed like 500 people. Out of that 500, less than 200 showed up to the outpost that they were supposed to show up to. That's so bad. And we armed them. That's so bad. You probably and that's when I say that's when I say like we talk about funding third world fucking radical Islamists. We've been doing it forever. Yeah, for sure. Like we're giving them weapons. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Some of those weapons that we gave those guys, the five hundred people, some of those weapons were used against us, or the Marines that replaced us, or the Marines down the road. Yeah, 100%. The weapons that we gave to them were turned around and used on us. Totally. I guarantee it. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know. I've been seeing it, man. I'm following it. And I just, I don't, I don't think, um, they're, so, they're so loyal to their tribe, man. I just don't think it'll work, you know? But also like, you can't, you can't expect somebody that's, I, I, this is with people too. You don't expect somebody that was raised in a loving, caring, uh, I guess, righteous household to view the world the same way as somebody who was raised on survival. Yeah, no, 100%. They view the world differently. Totally different. If you take a kid who's a hood rat that grew up in Flint, Michigan, and he grew up without a father, mm-hmm. and he grew up running with gangs and grew up in that lifestyle, that's what he knows. Yep. That's He knows how to survive. You take another kid that grew up in fucking uh, Orange County, California, what, that grew up with two. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just comparing the kid. That, what I'm saying is, the kid that was raised on survival is going to see the world totally different. This is the same thing with people comparing the. We we as Americans, we need to remind ourselves that we're fucking house cats. You know what I'm saying? Totally. We we as Americans, we're comfy, we're cushy. Yeah. You know. And it's not just in the Middle East. Go to Africa, man. There's still slavery in Africa, dude. Yeah, they There's still slavery in Africa. They sell each other, literally. Yes. And it's like you can't expect – 
like, and that's the thing is a lot of people that have never been to a country like that. They just, it, it's cool to sit there and say, that's not right. That's not fair. But you don't understand, like, that's not how their side of the world operates. Yeah. It's whoever's got the most guns mm-hmm. and the most support. That's who runs that motherfucker. Yeah. hundred percent. It's crazy. Yeah. I think we're so far removed from that, man. You're right. A lot of people can't, can't figure that out. People, people argue with opinions and words and diplomacy yeah. and fucking get triggered, you know, but it's like, dude, you're lucky you, you're lucky you live here in this country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so in a small way, I just took my family to the Philippines, man. We saw some of that and it's crazy. But, yeah, uh, same thing in the Philippines. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a war. I, I went to the Philippines. Yeah. Massive I mean, gap, massive, massive gap between the poor and the wealthy. And there's almost no in between. There's just, I remember going to, um, I remember going to the Philippines and I remember going to Thailand. And we were, we went out to the boonies and we were training in the jungle and there was people that lived out there and it was, they were just like, just like Afghans. Mm-hmm. They were living in little stick mud huts, not mud huts, but little stick huts yeah. out like on the side of a mountain, like, like some shit out of a Vietnam movie. Yeah. And these people lived, I was like, what do you do if it rains? Right. Oh, they, they would talk about this one. Uh, somebody died because a flood came through because it rained too hard and it just washed over their, their little, their house. They call it a house, but it's, it's like a bunch of bamboo sticks that make some sort of structure and they drown. And I'm just like, Oh, that's how people live here. And then you go to the city and a lot of people like prostitution and stuff, they, they, they come out. It's like, they're surviving. They, they, they leave those little uh, towns and they go to the big cities and they prostitute themselves. For sure. And it's just like, man, that's a different life. Totally. Yeah, it's insane, dude. I, I mean, it was a humbling experience. Um, so my wife grew up American. Her dad and mom were born over there, but um, he was in the U.S. Navy. And uh, in the Philippines? Yeah. So that's where he grew up, and he got he got himself into the U.S. Navy, and we went and visited, man. And it was like a it was a cool experience for my family, just to see something different, especially to do it with the kids, you know, so they can understand. Yeah. Like your fucking Nintendo Switch, like really isn't the world you know what i mean like there's kids yeah. like literally um trying to get by day by day but uh hey man yeah. um, so i want to ask like uh give me a day in the life of kyle stewart man i know you're so i was intrigued you said hey i'm working nights but you're also fighting and you're fighting at an insanely high level so like what what does that look uh, like um well i got cut from the ufc so now i i went back down to the triple a's you know what i'm saying i just fought this last weekend you keep throwing um, your hand man you're gonna get right back yeah, that's that's the game plan. So right now it's like the money's not there. Yeah, the money was there even when I was fighting in the UFC. A lot of people don't realize you see you see guys fighting in the UFC. The guys that are fighting their first two three years in the UFC, if you make it to year two, year three, yeah, you're living at minimum wage. Yeah, if you're working, it takes so, a long time to make money fighting a team. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just throw you some numbers here. So I lost two fights. I was eleven and one when I got my call to the UFC. Yep. Right, and eleven wins, one loss, and I lost both my fights in the UFC, and I got cut because I lost those fights. I only got paid half of my money. Right, I would I made twelve thousand dollars for losing plus money from Reebok. After I pay out my management and my coaches, I'm like from each fight I was taken home probably honestly twelve grand. Wow, you know, so I made twenty four. I made twenty four thousand dollars. And I made them in solid in two different solid paychecks, essentially, just about the same time frame. But if that's the only money you're bringing in, that's not enough to live off of. Yeah, no, that's not. Not even close. You know, like, it, it's just, it's not. And that was something that 
you know, working my way to the UFC, man, it was a hustle, man. You got, I'm hitting up sponsors for money. I'm trying to sell shirts and sell merchandise and do as much stuff as I can literally just to keep my apartment. So I don't get kicked out. Dudes were ducking you a bit, huh? I don't, I don't know the history, but it's, I was looking up uh, on share dog. It says like, uh, this fight didn't go or this fight. It looks like that was a thing for you. And no, it wasn't that dudes were ducking me, no. but it's definitely just the just way the game goes. And I'm not mad at the game because I understand the game. Yeah, like only certain. Once you get to a certain level, it's very hard to find fights. Like, and there's guys that I didn't want to fight, yeah. and it's not that I don't want to fight them. Nobody's scared when you're in the UFC or you're at that level. Nobody is scared to fight anybody. I'll fight anybody in the world. Yeah, if the UFC calls me and says, "Yo, we're going to give you a fight next week. You need to make weight." You could fight fucking Yoel Romero. And I'd be like, all right, yeah. let's do it. Yep. I'm not scared of fighting anybody. Nobody's, nobody's scared. Guys are scared when they're fighting locally. Guys are scared when they're amateurs. Once you get, once you get, you've been through it enough, you're just like, yo, this is what I do. Yep. I fight professionally. I could lose. I could win. But where guys don't want to fight other guys is just, it's, it's like chess, right? Mm-hmm. There's certain guys that are very, very good, but they've got a lot. They're very high level. They can, their skill level, they could beat a lot of guys in the UFC. But because they have fought so many UFC caliber guys or guys that got cut from the UFC, they, you know, you, you take a loss. You, these guys could have, I don't know, let's say 12 wins and five losses or six losses. Mm-hmm. And it's like because they're 12 and six, you know, their record isn't good. Yeah. But if you look at those six losses, they're against top of the food chain motherfuckers. Three of them are against UFC veterans. And uh, one could be against a Division One national All-American wrestler. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So nobody wants to fight the guy who has nothing to offer them. You sure. get what I'm saying? Yeah. But has everything to take from them. For sure. So it's like uh, the some fights the juice isn't worth the squeeze, and some fights it's the opposite. Some fights it's the exact opposite. It's like this guy is so horrible that like I'm not gonna fight him because I look bad fighting a guy that's so unskilled, right? And then if he were to beat me, then it makes me look horrible. Yeah, hundred percent. If and anybody can, I've seen it before. I've seen fighters fight guys that they they had no business losing to, and they lost, and it just made them look bad. So it's like I'm not going to give some dude an opportunity to make a name off of me, Mm -hmm. like you know. So you got to find somebody that's about your level that you you feel like you match up with. Me, I'm at a point right now where like, um depending on who like i said i'll fight anybody i i will fight anybody i just want i just want there to be juice worth the squeeze yeah, I get you it. know and, and then so like guys guys have turned down fights with me and i'm like okay i understand why like you know me coming back after after fighting in the ufc i got uh i had 11 wins and three losses right mm-hmm. that's a solid record right still so now i'm 12 and three but it's like that's why i was so grateful for the dude that took the fight against me last weekend is like coming out of the UFC, I'm coming off of two losses. Yeah. But I'm a bad motherfucker. Yeah, like, exactly. don't let those two losses that I just had fool you. Like, I sleep motherfuckers. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and I beat a lot of dudes' asses. 
So, so it's like, going back and watching it, like watching your early stuff, man, you're nasty. Like, yeah, you're, you're a, I think a lot of people tend to forget about that. You well, know, I, so obviously when you go, it, it's, I, I'm a, a huge follower of all mixed martial arts. Like I don't discount fighters for their records because I usually know the majority of the people on that record because I've followed it for so long. But, um, it seems like you're putting dudes out like inside a minute or two and then, and then you'd step up into the UFC and now you're, you're looking at dudes that are pretty good and you're fighting to decisions. And like, this is, this is, this is what I, this is the way I describe it. When you get to the UFC and this is what you need to understand. This is why I'm not like, i wish the UFC would have kept me and I, they would have gave me one more shot, but there is no, when you make it to the UFC and this is what I tell the young fighters, there is no time to figure it out. Yeah. Right. Everybody in the UFC is a fucking badass. Everybody there, except for CM Punk. (laughs) He's a little different. Everybody in the UFC, especially at 170 pounds, I mean, women's divisions, because women's women's MMA is significantly behind men's MMA, and in the heavyweight division. And the heavyweight division, there's not a whole lot of talent because there's not many dudes that are that size that are athletic and want to fight. But at 170 pounds, a lot of men, the average man walks around the average human being would make 145, 155, or 170 pounds. So there is so many people trying to get into the UFC. It's just, uh, and that's why it's like, yo, when you get to the UFC, you shouldn't be trying to survive. You better be ready to run through everybody because yeah. you're either going to run through everybody or you're going to get run through real fast and it's going to be over. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like you better, you better have all your bases covered. And that's the thing that, you know, I kind of regret is my wrestling wasn't good enough when I got to the UFC. And, um, you know, I had just switched camps shortly before getting to the UFC and I had really started working my wrestling. And, uh, I think to me, just a little, uh, too little, too late, you know, you can always say, Oh, well, just give me another chance and I'll prove you wrong. You know, maybe hopefully I get the, hopefully I get the chance to go back in there and show like, yo, like, you know, my, my fights that I've lost hasn't been, it's been because I lost in the grappling department. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's that I've overhauled and worked and worked and worked, but I feel like I am much more ready for the UFC now than I was when I got called. If they call you and you're five and oh, you're going to say yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. They call you when you're two and oh, you're going to say yes. And that's what I tell young fighters. Like, you don't want to be in the UFC when you're five or six and oh, because if you're six and oh, that's cool. Guess what? That Russian that they're trying to match you up with, he's fucking 16 and two, and he's a Sambo world champion. Right. Yeah. The, the, the jujitsu guy, he, the, they're trying to match you up with, he's a jujitsu world champion. The other guy they're trying to match up, he was 10 and oh, he was an LFA champion. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just like everybody in there has been there for a long time everybody in there is a killer. You know what I'm saying? That's like, it's, it's, it's a difference between talking about college football and the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I talk to a lot of people like, um, you know, people bet on fights and stuff. And like, I try to help them out or just because I know fighters or I know fighting styles, um, just, just from watching and being a fan or, or I would say a studied fan. And I try to tell people, but I'm like, look, man, these fools have fucking punchers chance and don't mistake it. Because they're these guys are they're that's what I tell them. These guys are fucking killers, no question. Yeah, uh, 
what so what weight do you think have you been bouncing around i i, I want to feel i feel like you were a 170 fighter and you went up to middleweight or what? yeah i was at 170 and i'm up i'm up to 185 now um i just that was another thing i think as i've gotten bigger i trained with jared candonier who's an absolute monster and he's a middleweight no, he's a weight class above where i was fighting at and uh, I think for so long, I was so terrified of going up to 185 because those dudes were big. And there are some massive oh, fucking yeah. Oh, yeah. But the way that I see it is I've, I didn't cut weight to 170 to be a big 170 pounder. Mm-hmm. I, I cut weight to 170 so I didn't have to fight the guy that's going to be 215 pounds on fight night. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and now I just lost to a guy that fought at 145 when I was in the UFC. Um, and on fight night, he, he had the gas. He, he, he beat me in the grappling, and he had the gas tank. Mm-hmm. Dude, if you, I, I fucking cut so much weight, so much weight. I hate My UFC debut, I cut 28 pounds in five I, days. I cannot stand that you guys do that, honestly. Like, I know it's part and, of the game. It's to the point where it's like, oh, when I, after I got cut from the UFC, I, I stopped and I evaluated. Do I still want to fight? Why do I want to fight? Is it my ego or is it because I want to do better? And that's the big thing now is I'm not promoting myself as much anymore because it's not about fucking followers to me. It's just like I want to do it for me. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make something out of my career, whether it's I go back to the UFC, whether I go to Bellator, whether I go to PFL. Like my best days are ahead of me because like I've got a lot of anger about how my two fights in the UFC went. You get what I'm saying? hundred percent. My revenge on some motherfuckers. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, dude. I want to see you. I want to see you stay. At, I was happy because I thought I'm like, man. I swear he was 170, and I was trying to look it up. And I'm like, I love that you're fighting closer to what you would walk around at. I just yeah, like you're healthier. I feel like you're. You guys are healthier. You're um, so much. So much. My my weight cut was. The amount of hours that I put into my weight cut was um, probably five or six hours mm-hmm. to make 185 over a two-day period. Just yeah. sauna suit, sweat suit, sit in the sauna. The amount of hours I put into uh, into cutting weight to make 170, 20, 30. Yeah. I mean, and I'm just talking, dude, I, w- I would make weight and then be dry heaving. Like my body, I'd be throwing up the water I was drinking because my body would reject it. Yeah. So I followed you. I followed you on this weight cut. You looked way better, way healthier, just way more ready to go. And like, I was yeah, stoked and- when I saw you, you're like, you know, cause I, I know like, I know you, I, I know like a mentality of a Marine and a fighter, like after two losses, like you're going to come out hungry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I kind of felt bad for the dude you fought. Cause I just, just yeah. I'm just like, well, he's, he's probably going to, probably going to put this dude away. Yeah. yeah, and he did. And yeah, I'm just super happy for you, man. Just stay healthy and and keep training and fighting, dude. And the way that I see it, and that's something that I learned from my past opponent, Eric Koch. And you know, I talked to him on Instagram. I was like, dude, I feel so much better at 185. I feel so much like I'm not. And he told me the same thing. He used to fight at 145, then he fought at 170. Wow. He's like, dude, I'm not. I'm not here to be a fucking bodybuilder. I'm not here to win a fitness contest. I'm yeah. here to fight. Yeah. And he had gas for fuck. He's like, dude, he's when I would fight at one, even 155, he's like, I would fight at 155 after the first round of wrestling, my legs were shot. That was exactly how I felt when I fought him. Yeah. No, like I, after the first, after the first, after the first round, my, my legs and my arms were shot. Like I was just like, I had no juice. Whereas like my whole fight camp, I would, 
I would be around 187, 188 pounds once, like the last month, I'd be just under 190 and I'd be feeling good. Yeah. Once you cut down under 180, like your body just goes into this, like, it's a weird, it's like, it's almost like there's just no gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. Like my brain's saying, fire, 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 move. And my body's going, motherfucker, you just starved yourself for a whole week. Yeah. We got no gas. Yeah. As a fan, man, I just, I love, I just, as a fan, I'm, I applaud the guys that move up, dude, and, and fight closer to their natural weight. I just think it's a healthier. A lot of dudes do it and do fucking well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you, I can name a bunch of people like, you remember, uh, you remember Rumble? Rumble, like, sort of yes. started. So that guy was dropping dudes, but he used to cut down to 170. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane to me. But, but, and I think here's the difference Are you moving up? because you're too lazy and you don't have the discipline to make your proper weight class or, and you know, or are you moving up because you genuinely think it's going to help your performance? Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's what you got to figure out. And that's what, after this last fight, you know, cutting, cutting and making the weight, looking at my body, I was like, you know what? I'm happy. It was a much easier weight cut, but I need to put some muscle on. Like I need to, uh, I, I got like a softer looking belly, you know, like I just was looking at myself and I was just, even at the weigh-ins, I was like, man, like I look flat. You know, I don't look like a, I didn't look like an athlete. You know, like I, I was a little disappointed in myself. I was like, fuck, man. Yeah, but it's, so I, I, I still believe 185 is my weight class. But think of how much better I'm going to be when I build a frame for middleweight. That's exactly what I was going to say is you got to restructure your frame. You've kept your frame, you know, in a way yeah. to, and make one. I've spent years just on a fucking treadmill. Yeah, now you'll be able to on a treadmill, like a, a, on a treadmill running every day. And yeah. now I'm like, fuck, dude, let's get in the squat rack. Yeah. No, dude, I think I think it's a good move, man. I think it's smart. I think um, you know, I mean, who am I really? It's just an opinion, but I'm happy for you, man. I, you look healthy, you look great. I hope you I hope that means you're going to be able to take your training to another level and and it, it'll pro honestly it'll probably impact your whole life, dude, just not having to worry about as much a weight cut and all that stuff, dude. I'm excited for you. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I mean, every time you walk to the cage, man, I've been going back and looking at the older fights. I've I've seen you in the UFC, and you're carrying those colors, dude. I love it, man. I just it's it's just it. Um, I kind of feel like, and I know you said earlier, like like, um, you represent the organization, the institution, but I kind of feel like you carry some of us in there with you, you know, or, or and and oh, sounds like that's, that's what I that's how I feel, man. That's I, why I think sometimes I gotta let some of that go moving yeah. forward because I'm an emo I'm a highly emotional person. Yeah, like. I'm very emotional. Like I've, I've cried before fights mm -hmm. and my buddies have made fun of me just because I think about that. Like yeah. I think about like who I represent and what I'm fighting for. And I get emotional just talking about it now. Yeah. And it's like, that's a lot of weight to carry on to my shoulders. Yeah, I know. That, uh, yeah. hundred percent. I lost in the UFC, man. I fucking was bawling, dude. Like I couldn't talk to anybody. Yeah. I felt like a fucking loser i felt like everybody who had ever supported me i had failed no man we love you dude like i i stepped up as a marine i carried the flag out there and then i looked like a bitch in two and a half minutes no, you know what i'm saying no, and I, that, that's just like in my head i kept telling myself that and i started carrying so much weight like i have to win i have to do it for the marine corps i said i was going to do this and now like in a way i kind of had to this is the way i describe it. i had to I, getting cut from the UFC and losing everything that I had worked for kind of helped me realizing it helped me to realize that that wasn't everything. Yeah. You know, I went, I, I got cut from the UFC. 
we did went on a hunting trip with my dad had fun just spending time with him being like look like i've dedicated so much time to fighting that like my family has been to every one of my fights mm-hmm. this was the that's why i told this fight that i just had in utah i told him to stay home it's like i don't want this is just about me fighting mm. i almost left my marine corps flag i almost didn't bring my flag because i didn't want to make it about the marine corps yeah. i wanted to, i wanted to fight for me right. but i was like you know what like I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm still bringing the flag. Fuck it. Like, I, you know, but that's something that like that weight that I carry, it's very empowering. But at the same time, I felt like when I got to the higher levels, yeah. it was just like, I stopped fighting to fuck dudes up and I started fighting to not lose. Yeah. That's not a good recipe, brother. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. And I understand, like, I've heard a lot of athletes, top level athletes say that kind of stuff, man. And I know, I know that's a difficult challenge that some of you, that some of you guys find yourselves in. And I would just say, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. You know how Marines are, man. It doesn't matter what you do. We're going to love you no matter what. Um, yeah. You're, but you're, as a Marine, that's how I need to fight. Yeah. As a Marine, that's what guns up means. I'm coming yeah. in to take your fucking head off. Yeah. You know and, what I'm saying? Yeah. hundred percent. I did my last fight and I'm like, yo, everybody I fight from now on is getting that fucking treatment. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think the moves that you're making are probably the, the right moves and um, you're going to be healthier and, and able to do that, man. And I'm, I look forward to seeing what you do. I, I you know, I, I don't, um, as a fan, I actually like seeing you guys like kind of get a taste and then, you know, I hate seeing people lose, but especially people that I care about. But um, when you come back, man, you're going to come back hungrier and more violent and, and more about yourself, you know? And I think that's what that's important. That's, that's something, you know, you, you can take motivation from anything. You can take motivation from a loss, man. Right. And Joe Rogan does a, does the thing where he talks about it and he goes like, I like a success story more than I like a success story. I like somebody that fucks his life up mm-hmm. and then pulls it all back together. Yes. And that's my motivation now is to, I'm more motivated now than I was, than I've been in two or three years. Yeah. Like, because I have something to fight. I have I have my own redemption story to fight for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. I won a lot of fights. I was 10 and 0 before I lost my first professional fight. Wow. I, I was winning and winning and winning and winning and winning and doing it devastatingly. And yeah. it was getting nowhere. Like winning was just winning. Like, and that's why I say losing hurts far worse than winning feels good. Yeah. And so I was winning for so long that like I was just a winner in my head. I, that's what I resonated with. I'm just a winner. I'm going to win no matter what. Right. And then when I lost, I lost my first fight, won a fight, got into the UFC, lost two. I went from winning 17 fights in a row because I, I was nine and one as an amateur. Right. I won 17. I was once my last seven straight amateur fights and 10 first professional fights. I went from winning 17 fights in a row to losing three out of four fights. Mm. So I went from this, this crazy, crazy high. I got to the highest levels and then just everything crashed. And I think when you ride your highs so high, then you're low, you're, you're bottom. Think of Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Ronda Rousey was on top of the world until oh. she lost, yep. and then she lost everything. She, she wasn't even the same fighter anymore. Not even close, dude. It was a Not shit. even close. She, like, she didn't believe in herself anymore. Right. And I think where I'm at right now is I'm motivated because I get to write my own comeback story. And it's not because it's – and it's my comeback story is for me. It's yeah. not for fucking anybody else, you know, and that, that's, that's another big difference, you know, but anyways, I, I got to get going, man. I got to go yeah. see if I can catch a nap before I got to go in and go to work. 
Yeah, bro. But, uh, Stay healthy, man, and keep training, dude. And, you know, you got so many people behind you, dude. We love you. And uh, uh, hopefully, you know, Vent Nation will be following you now too, man. So all my, all my people, if they didn't know you before, they certainly will now. And keep doing it, dude, because, I mean, like you said, do it for you first. But um, just know that we're all with you, dude. I love it. Right on. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. Hopefully we'll get you back. Um, you know, we're always, we're always around, dude. We'd love to have you. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it after whenever I get my next fight. Uh, let's keep in touch. Maybe before my next fight, whenever I get it announced and then after we'll just keep doing it. You know, I like, like yeah. this, yeah, this dude, conversation. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Have a good one. Take care.